I did this when I was like 54 years old. So it's not like it's too late for anybody to make any kind of change. That was Susan Niebergall. And this is the Prime Podcast. It's time to find your prime. Let's get it. Yeah. You ready? <laughs> hey. Let's go. Bet. I'm at my. I'm at my. I'm at my prime. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Podcast. We are very excited today to have a special guest, Susan Niebergall, who if you follow her on Instagram. Uh, she has a, a ton of followers and a ton of different things going on. She just recently uh, released a book called Fit at Any Age. It's never too late. And she also has her own online coaching portal called the Inner Circle, which she does a lot of great things and has thousands of members following along, doing workouts, nutrition guidance, and all that. So Susan... Thank you for being on the episode, and we're really excited to hear what you got to say. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here, and I, I, I just want to put a little caveat. The inner circle uh, that I coach is Jordan's inner circle, Jordan Syatt's inner circle. He started this many years ago. I want to say back in 2015, maybe something like that, and uh, he brought me on about four years ago, so we're partners in it now, but it's definitely his baby. So let's take us down a, a, a little journey here of like, how we got to here, I know I, in the book, we talk a lot about it, but give us a quick mm-hmm. rundown of sure. you know, what got you into you know, where you are, how you became a, a fitness coach and, and now influencer, you know, Instagram influencer and all this kind of stuff from where you kind of started with your journey. Sure. Well, um, I, I'm coming to the fitness world from the education world. So I was a, a band director and then a school counselor for about 33 years. Uh, and I just, I retired about, it's been six years now, which is crazy to think about that. And during, during my time in education, um, and, and just even before I became an educator, I had been struggling with weight my entire life and not from the point of being obese necessarily, although I probably bordered on that at one point in time, but really I was just more overweight and I would struggle with losing the weight and then I would gain it back. You know, I was just the consummate yo-yo dieter for a long time. And like I did stuff back in the day, I did Jenny Craig. And those of you that may not know what that is, it is, you know, a, a food plan. You buy their food, you eat their food, you lose weight kind of thing. I did that back in the, I think it was the late eighties or early nineties, lost about 50 pounds doing that, but couldn't keep it off. Cause I really didn't learn much about anything during that. So, and I tried all the weird things, you know, I, I got into a pattern of the only way I know how to lose weight is basically to overly restrict. And, and if you do that, you can do that for a short period of time, but you really can't sustain that. So there started the yo-yo dieting. I couldn't sustain anything. And I just went through decades of that. So I, I'm a typical yo-yo dieter. There's so many of us out there where, where we do these drastic things to lose weight, but then we can't maintain it. And so it, it got to the point as I got older, you know, middle age kicking in, mother nature has a way of messing with us um, with perimenopause and menopause and, and your body starts to change hormonally, you're changing. And 
I just remember one day looking down at myself and thinking, what the hell has happened to me? Um, I, I, I can't lose weight. I'm bigger. I've, I don't know what to do because I thought I was doing everything right. You know, I became this healthy eater, this healthy overeater, eating healthy foods, but a lot of healthy foods, didn't understand portions, didn't understand calories. I just thought if I ate healthy, I would be fine. And I, I wasn't. So I was so frustrated. Went to the doctor, got all the tests, my metabolism, all that's fine. Um, so I really had nothing else to blame, you know, because I was blaming middle age on everything, right? I thought it was all middle age. It was menopause that was kicking my ass. And, and, and that made sense to me. Like, oh, okay, yeah, this is what I've heard. When you get older, you start gaining weight. So I assumed my metabolism had slowed down. The doctor was going to give me this medication and off I would go. It was nothing like that. My metabolism was fine. I just had to start taking responsibility and, and learning. And shortly after that time period, and that was probably my early 50s, I hired Jordan Syed as my coach. And from that point on, everything changed how he programmed my training, what I learned uh, from him about nutrition. And when I started putting things into practice, everything changed. Weight changed, physique changed, mindset changed, outlook on life changed, and my training shot through the roof. And, And I talk about this in the book because I think it's really super important for people to understand that I did this when I was like 54 years old. So it's not like it's too late for anybody to make any kind of change. And that's kind of my message right now to get it out to everybody. That's why I I post about that constantly, that it is not too late. You might feel like it is, but it's not. And sometimes we need to scale back and take one thing at a time and build upon that, regardless whether you're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, it just doesn't matter, but it's never too late to change. And that's, that's my big message to get out to everybody. Yeah, and I think it's it's a great message, and I think it's a great message to everybody because as you <clears throat> one of the, you touched a lot about so many things, we can end the podcast right there and yeah. just call, <laughs> call it a day. Uh, but one of the things that you talked about in the book that I thought it kind of hit me a little bit is you know folks are really scared to change, and you were like, we are willing to endure endure our misery and just like get comfortable in our misery than yeah. the actual trying to change things uh, like our circumstance. Yeah, and I think where where people struggle a lot is you know, well, the one part of it is actually taking responsibility, like you just talked about, looking in the mirror and saying like, well, the doctor didn't give me this magic diagnosis to say, hey, here's a metabolism booster, and you're going to lose your weight, and you're going to look how you want to look and feel how you want to feel. And then taking ownership in that taking the responsibility, but then how do you know, like, what advice do you give folks who maybe they got to that point now, like, what are some steps you said, take it slow, to maybe make that change a little bit more bearable when they're starting to make that and change and to turn the turn the corner into a new process. Sure. I tell people to start with two things, two things that are accessible to anybody. And that is um, start becoming aware of your nutrition by literally writing down on a piece of paper, not on your computer or your phone, but literally on a piece of paper, write down every single thing that you put in your mouth. 
throughout the course of a day. Just have that pad of paper and pen sitting out in the kitchen. And every time you take a handful of chips or you take, you pour a cup of coffee or you have a piece of cake or whatever it is, write it down. You don't have to weigh it or measure it, but just make a list of what you're putting in your mouth so that you finally become aware of just how much food you're consuming on a given day. Because if you're struggling to lose weight, this is where it has to start. Because we're in so much denial about how much we're eating. We think we're eating so much less than what we are until you actually have to write it down like this. And so that awareness right there is where it starts. Because what's going to happen if you start doing that, you're going to start changing behaviors just from the act of writing it down and seeing for yourself how much you're actually consuming. Like that handful of chips you may choose not to have because you don't want to write that sucker down. Um, maybe you don't want to have your third latte of the day because, you know, those are 200 calories each, something like that. You know, you will start making changes just from doing that, but it's got to start with awareness and an honest awareness, right? You have to be honest about this because if you're not honest with what you're telling yourself, you're going to continuously spin your wheels. And this is a great way to do that. Just pad a paper, pen, write it all down. Every food, drink, everything that you put in your mouth, put it on that piece of paper. The second thing is I tell everyone, start with walking from the exercise perspective. Anybody can do it. You can do it in your house. You can do it outside your house. It doesn't matter. Just go and make it a daily thing. It is your non-negotiable, even if it's only for five minutes. Because what you might find that that five minutes you get out there, you start getting some fresh air, that five may turn to 10, may turn to 15. You put on this podcast and start listening. You're going to be out there walking longer. You know, it, that's where that starts. And it becomes part of what you do. And if you have to schedule it in your day, do it. But just make that your first exercise habit that you are active. That, that gets you active now. That is going to be part of who you are and what you do. And then you can add other parts of exercise. Any, if you want to do classes, you can do those. If you want to learn to strength train, you can do that, whatever. But start with walking and then writing everything that you eat down on a piece of paper. Love it. Absolutely love it. And I, I, we talked about this on a podcast recently, how we as humans, we highly overestimate how many calories are burned when we exercise and highly underestimate how much food we're eating or how many calories. 100%. We're eating. <laughs> it's just like complete opposite ends of the spectrum of how um, I would say oblivious or or whatever, naive to those different things. We people think that you know I'm going out for a run and it's, I'm burning all these calories, but they don't really burn as much as we think. And then, like you said, that handful of chips or that handful of almonds, that latte, 250, 300 calories. That's essentially a workout session for one drink. Yeah, and and it's so interesting because um, we so much of that is mindless. We don't right. even think about it, and the 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 start has to be the mindless subconscious stuff has to be brought to the forefront of your brain. Now it has to become conscious, and until it does, you will continuously go and mindlessly eat. And it's interesting because I find myself if I'm up in the kitchen, um, working from the kitchen table, I'll find myself getting up out of maybe boredom, going over to our pantry where we hold all the good stuff, right? All the snacks or whatever. And I'll find myself reaching for the door and I'm like, stop. And, And I have to ask myself, am I hungry? I always make myself answer that question because what that has done is take something that was mindless and now it's a conscious decision. From that moment on, it becomes conscious whether I choose to continue and have something to eat or not. 
you know? Um, and almost all the time I'm like, no, I'm not hungry. And I go, go back and sit down. I mean, we all do it, but again, it's just, it's just being aware of everything. Yeah. And, and I think that what we just, you just talked about, I think we, we all know people and you have your inner circle people that you talk to, you talk about coaching and that idea of, you know, uh, purging and, heavy restricting and then like heavy binging and then heavy restricting and then heavy binging like that mindless i'm gonna go and i end up eating a whole bag of chips because yeah. i'm starving i'm ravenously hungry at the end of the day and what are some i've obviously eating more throughout the day would make you less hungry uh, you know at the at, at nighttime to to make you have to want to binge so much at the end um but like what are i don't know like a couple of ways like okay so we have these things written down about what we're all eating and we have a little bit more consciousness to it where we're asking ourselves, hey, am I really hungry here when I'm going to that pantry? And then what are, you know, what are some ways that you might work with folks to get them on the, the track of kind of a little bit better nutritional guidance? Because I think that's where people don't realize, and you talk a lot about it in the book, you talk about how you were working out multiple times a day. You had a trainer, you were going to classes, and your answer was always like, I'm just going to work out more. I'm just going to yeah. keep working out more. And, the, and you mentioned it was really, really interesting to me, because there was a point where in the, you stated like, I've worked with so many different people and so many different trainers and fitness things, and not one person has ever actually taught me about nutrition about right. like what it means to lose weight or what it means to be in a calorie deficit or anything about nutrition at all. And all of it is just from wherever. And a lot of people now with social media get their information at their fingertips and different things are bombarding them all day long about nutritional topics or different things. And what's a really simple way to kind of get them going in that process to get started once they realize, okay, I don't need that extra cupcake or that bag of chips or that so on and so forth. Like what are we looking for? in their, their meals specifically? Well, I think, I think to, to, to dial this back a little bit, I think tracking your calories and starting to look at portion sizes, that's where the difference is going to be. Um, once you have an awareness of, of all these things that you're putting in your mouth, now let's get a control over the quantity of it. And so obviously weighing your food is the best way to do that because what we all think is like, a four ounce piece of chicken is probably six. I mean, and this comes back to what you just said is that we're just really bad at estimating things like that. Portions go along right with that. We we're terrible at that. Um, until you have practice putting a piece of chicken on that food scale and seeing what, how much it actually weighs. And, and I was really steadfast against that for so many, many years, just because I thought it was going to take the fun out of eating. It was going to be like a miserable experience weighing my food or tracking calories and that kind of thing. And, and it really wasn't. And, and I'll tell you this, I'm not an app girl, so I don't use an app when I track and I don't track really at all that much anymore. But when I do, I don't use an app. I use a spreadsheet. I don't want to learn another thing about technology. <laughs> I just don't. And um, so, I mean, so you can do it that way too. You don't have to be app savvy. You know, um, you can create a little spreadsheet on your computer and Google's your friend. You know, the FDA site can be your friend. I mean, there's ways to find out information. It's just that you need to be willing to put in some time to do that. Now, is that something you want to do for the rest of your life? Oh, no, absolutely not. But learning to weigh your food and track your calories, whether you use an app or however, 
is really the best way to get control over everything because it'll be eye-opening when you are ready to do all that. It, it'll be eye-opening just as to figure out how many calories you've actually been consuming. And, and getting over over to the binging topic you had mentioned, you know, binging usually is a result of overly restricting calories for, and, and food, like right. food types of food. And I think we think of overly restricting just from the calorie perspective, like um, hardly eating any calories, you know, thinking that we have to eat so little in order to lose weight. And then, you know, as you said, by the end of a day, you're starving because you've, you've tried to keep your meals as teeny tiny as possible. And you've probably munched a little bit here and there throughout the day, but that doesn't satisfy you. And then you get home from work, you're tired, you're hangry, if you have kids, they need you. All hell's breaking loose. You have to figure out dinner that's going to meet your calorie requirements. And you're saying, screw that. I'm just going to eat. You know, yeah. And then you just keep eating and eating and eating. And so the overly restricting from calories is something that happens. But also binging can happen when you overly restrict your food choices. Like people that don't allow themselves to have, I'll use a donut as an example, ever. And yet on the weekends then, the weekend comes or something and they said, screw this. I'm going, you know, I'm going to Krispy Kreme, you know, and, and, and then they start piling in the donuts, you know, yeah. whereas if you were, would allow yourself to enjoy a donut more frequently, perhaps you wouldn't go to Krispy Kreme and want to just pile in a dozen donuts, you know, it, so restriction comes from two parts, not only the number of calories, but what you're eating, you know, and I talk about in the book, how I lived in this little food bubble and I had my healthy nutritious, mostly nutritious foods that I would stick to. And whenever I had to go outside of that bubble, it was horrible. You know, I, I was, ang I was anxious. I was anxiety ridden because I couldn't control it. Yeah. Your example with the, the healthy restaurant, the healthy meal that you thought you were eating in the restaurant, yeah. grilled yeah. chicken, the pesto. That was great yeah. because a lot of people do that all the time. You know, like they, you know, they'll go to with these SIE bowl places or yeah. different other healthy bowl places that you know, they're getting 1500 calories in these meals, but they're quote unquote healthy. And yeah. you don't need that much of anything, right? Like these enormous, you know, healthy bowls and different things that you might be getting at places. And it's just such like, again, such a numbers game that people just throw out the window because they're, they're healthy. It's they're, they're marketed as healthy options. You know, it's interesting when I'm on consult calls with people, I'm on the phone all the time. And, and when I ask them to tell me um, about, you know, where they are, what they're struggling with, they, they're struggling to lose weight. And then, and then they, I said, okay, so tell me about what you've been doing. What have you been trying? And they, they go right away to, well, I work out four times a week. I add hit two times a week. I'm going to this class. I'm going to start adding jogging three times a week. And they go on and on and on about something that I don't want to say it has, it it doesn't have zero to do with their issue, but it's not the main player, right? They haven't even mentioned their nutrition yet, yet they've gone through this whole schedule of workouts and things that they do. So that tells me right away, their focus is in the wrong area. They're focusing on where I was focused on, which is I'll just add more workouts to, to, to the mix. That must be the problem. And then we finally hone in on their nutrition. And, and then we start diving into the driver of that weight loss car, which is nutrition. And, and, and I, I like to use this example that 
if the weight loss the weight loss car has a driver and a passenger and your driver's always 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 going to be nutrition and the passenger will always be training and they can work together very very well but you will go anywhere you won't go a mile without your driver of that car and we are thinking that the roles are reversed we put training as the driver and nutrition as the passenger, and that doesn't work. And that's so such a big reason why so many people struggle, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think when you have those initial consultations with folks, they they tell you a lot of times what they think you want to hear mm-hmm. versus, you know, like, oh, I work out so much. And they, they're proud of that. They're also proud of that point. Uh, and I think they, they give you that that stuff. I always find that very interesting when folks they give you that that rundown of stuff that they think that you want to hear versus the actual, the yeah. actual meat and potatoes yeah. real thing that we want to hear. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Tori has a question, I think. Sure. I'm from a house that yo-yo diets like it's nobody's business. Um, my dad can do no flour, no sugar for a month and then gain the 60 pounds back the next day. <laughs> and I've done it too. And I've lost five pounds in a day. And I was grossed out, obviously working at a gym now and being friends and whatever with Anthony, (laughs) (laughs) colleagues, whatever. I know that's not the right way to go. So what is a consistent or consistent things that you've done that maybe has proved to have the most progress long-term or short-term? Regarding specifically what? Nutrition, I guess. In here we have, we have like lifestyle, fitness, nutrition related, like two of the things that have been the the most consistent through your, when you started working with Jordan? Uh, probably I was about almost six, six, seven years ago now. Yeah. Yeah. So since starting to work with Jordan, I would say, what have been the things that have helped you? The the two things, I'll just give you, give us two things that have helped you stay at, you know, like, cause we, we talked about yo-yo dieting before and things that have kind of limited you in bound in coming back and going off. What are the two like big lifestyle, fitness, nutrition things that have helped you keep it off and keep it consistently off? Um, I think I kept meals simple. Um, I didn't, I didn't try to prepare lots of ingredients and whatever. I, that was going to be too much for me personally. So that worked for me. Not that I just ate chicken and broccoli. That wasn't it, but, um, not a lot of meals that required a ton of ingredients. The one and related to that, and this is probably more applicable to everyone. And that is planning. I planned. I planned ahead. I didn't wing my nutrition throughout the course of a day. That never works. Meaning I ate breakfast and then I logged it in my uh, app. And then I I had this many calories for lunch and then I put it in the app. I did it the other way around. I put everything in my, I planned it all out and then put it in my spreadsheet first the day before. So that if I did that like tonight, uh, Thursday night, I put in my spreadsheet, everything that I'm going to eat and the calories and the protein, all those values in my spreadsheet tonight. So I know exactly how tomorrow's going to go. I don't have to think, I don't have to do anything. I've already done it. And that is probably the most underrated hack for s- sticking with your nutrition that there is. is yeah, I know. Oh yeah. Go ahead. Keep going. Here I was just going to say, it's just, just planning that alone will change drastically a lot. Um, is it some upfront work? Sure. It's got to be your priority. I mean, like anything else, you've got to put in the time and the practice to do it. So 
I think that number one is something that helped me significantly with my nutrition and helped me stay more consistent with my nutrition as well. You know, coming home from work hungry is just never a good thing for anybody. Um, so having it all laid out, if you come home from work and you're hungry, at least you don't have to sit there, open the refrigerator and think, what am I going to make that's going to meet my calorie requirements tonight? You know, and then you're, you're kind of like, you're tired, you're hungry, you just want to eat, you know, but at, at least if you've planned it out, you know, and if you haven't already cooked it, well, okay, that's fine. But at least you know what to cook. You don't have to think about that. You just pull the stuff out and you get it ready and you eat, right? It's so much easier when you plan. And so many people just don't do that. Yeah. And I've, I've talked about, cause I used to be a, a football coach at, at a college level in high school. And if you pay attention to how they prepare for a game and they have, if you see them on the sideline, they have those enormous sheets of paper that have every scenario and everything broken down ahead mm -hmm. of time because they plan for it and they don't want their emotions or feelings to get in the way of their decision-making process. Yep. So the yep. same thing here, if you are, and I've never heard anybody like actually writing it down the day before. So that's a new, uh, a new concept for me. Like actually like, Hey, this is what I'm going to eat tomorrow. And these are exactly how many calories. And then if you have to, you know, afterwards, let's say if you had a piece of cake, you'd have to go in afterwards and adjust it, which would be kind of like, Oh, it's like, I didn't, you know, in some ways it'd be like, I didn't follow through with my plan or whatever. And then I just think that's a great idea to get people to already have that win for mm -hmm. the day and be like, no, exactly. Just like you're scheduling out your day. If you have appointments or you have different things, like you say, you have a lot of phone calls. So I have my calendar ready for tomorrow. This is exactly what I'm going to do. This is when it's going to happen. And this is yeah. what, it's just, just yeah. what happens, you know? And it's not perfect. I mean, as you said, things are going to come up, right? But they're not going to come up every day. And if they start coming up every day, then you're making choices every day that are not following what your goals are, you know? I mean, once in a, uh, every so often, yeah, of course things are gonna get off track and whatever, but um, if they if this happens all the time, well, then you need to reevaluate either your effort towards your goals or reevaluate, are these goals realistic for me right now? You know, and, and the answer could be, well, maybe not at this moment they aren't, or maybe it's no, I just need to kick myself in the ass and hold, keep a promise to myself. You know, I promised myself I was going to be 80% consistent this month or something like that. Keep the promise, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're so quick to not keep the promise to ourselves yet. We're going to keep a promise to a friend very easily, right? We just need to start treating ourselves a little better and follow through more because I'm a total believer in, we make choices with this, you know, uh, all of this, we make choices and we are in control. And that's the great news about this that we are in total control of how this is going to go. And uh, unless of course you have a rare disease, you know, some disease, whatever, something like that. But most of the time you are in control of everything and we don't believe that we are. And once you start believing in yourself, I think things really change. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think all of that, I'm curious. So you started working, I was thinking of this as we were kind of going through and I was like, what does it happens if, were you still teaching when you started working with George Jordan? Uh, no, I had just retired. Because I was going to see, how did you handle, because I've been to a teacher's lounge, actually in our teacher's lounge today, the PTA had put in like 20 oh. boxes, 20 oh, boxes yeah. in yep. there. This is Teacher Appreciation Week. Yeah, teacher Appreciation Week. So we. Had, I remember those weeks. Yeah, so the other day there was bagels, muffins, cupcake, all the all yep. the the breakfast spread, right? Yep. Today was pizza, and. I mean, me personally, I just don't go in the teacher's lounge. 
But would that just be the suggestion for you? Because you had talked about in there people like doing cake for you and different things in school and you would, you, that was a, a really tough time for you, a really be- a tough day for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it just depends. Yeah. I, I think I would, would I go in there now? hundred percent. I would hundred yeah. percent. I would go in there now. Would I have gone back? Did I go back in there then? Sometimes I did. It it really depended on what it was. You know, bagels were in there all the time. So I never went in on a bagel day, right? Because that was not a really that that much of a big deal. Um, Once in a while, I would go in there when the PTA would make like lunch for everybody and it would be like big salads and stuff. Yeah, I would partake in that. But, you know, if I had been working with Jordan while I was in the school, he would have told me to choose what I wanted to partake in, you know, and I would have done that. A hundred percent, I would have done that. And and I think special occasions are different. You know, it's, um, it's when special occasions are like every Friday night we go out with friends. Well, that's not a special occasion, you know, it's every Friday. It's not special. (laughs) I think people have to really, and here's where making choices comes into play, right? Every Friday is not a special occasion. It's just not someone's birthday is a special occasion. An anniversary is mother's day. Those are special occasions, but not Friday night with the friends. And then a Saturday brunch with friends or something that happens all the time. And you can make choices to partake in certain ways, you know, uh, maybe this week and maybe next week, no, or whatever, but it, it is a choice. It is a choice. And so if you're, if you're struggling to lose weight and you're finding that you're allowing yourself all of these special occasions, that would be a place I would look. For sure. Now I, we, there's so many things to dive into here. And I, I just curious to that, that little sidebar there. Cause I, like I said, we have people, one of the, we used to work as a corporate wellness program for a local a local business and they had those like little jars of little candy bars all over uh-huh. the place. And we had, we were working with a client and telling her like, like how many of those do you eat in a day? And she tracked it one day and found out she was eating like eight of those little, those little like ones you get on Halloween. Yep. Yep. And I was like, yeah, you're eating like two full size candy bars. And like you said, mindlessly. Yep. And, and those things, those, so it's kind of like work place, uh, sabotages like you know at home type sometimes we have people who are, are sabotaging our progress and different things like that like relationship wise you had talked about how your family was very supportive but what what would suggestions or things you would give to people who may not have the most supportive at home or in work or, or whatever that might be where they're trying to make progress but you know their husband or significant other buys and pizza and then you know they do all those types of things that they're trying to work around in terms of being uh, in the right direction you know, sometimes, especially with family, it requires a conversation and letting your significant other understand what you're trying to do and how that person can help and ask for their help. Often they, we just don't have those conversations, you know, yeah. and we just assume that that person fully understands what you're trying to do. And we assume that that person fully understands what they could do to help you with that. Sometimes they don't go well. I mean, everyone's family dynamics are different, you know, and a lot of times other people are very uncomfortable with this kind of thing because they don't feel real great about where they are either. Right. And so a lot of times there'll be a little bit of a reflection in in an attitude or something. I mean, I've never experienced that. I was very lucky, but I've heard that that happens in some families. So I think it's just a matter of putting out there what, what you're trying to do, what your goals are and how that person can support you. 
And I think that changes a lot. Now, does that mean it's going to be perfect and that there's never going to be times where that person is going to have something that you would like to enjoy too and that you don't want to and now you have to make a choice? Well, I mean, that's going to happen. But I think if you have an open and honest conversation, that's where it has to start. And I think so often that's what hasn't happened. And that's why there's tension there. Yeah, we had this conversation a few weeks ago. We had our whole staff in here and we were talking about, you know, going to family functions or you know, either getting a negative comment from an uncle or an aunt or a relative mm-hmm. about, you know, like looking a certain way, like, oh, you, you know, because our other coach, Sam, she's a very muscular girl. She's very strong. She probably squats more than I do and significantly maybe. <laughs> she's a very strong and really, you know, like strong looking girl. And she's like 28. And, and so she, we were talking about getting comments from folks who are always saying like, hey, you, why do you lift? Why do you do so much? Why are you so, you know, why do you want to do that? Do you have any, you know, I know because you've changed your body. Now you're promoting strength training as one of like a, a catalyst for so many things, which I also think strength training is huge for a lot of folks for a number of reasons. But what do you say to folks who are maybe going through that, their aerobics only or running only or that benefit and then that's, that fear around, I'm going to get big and bulky and look like that particular person. I don't want to be big or bulky and I want to, you know, so there's like a whole lot of different perceptions around strength training. Sure. That, that women specifically, and definitely like older women, as you talked about, have these perceptions about, you know, I'm going to get hurt, you know, I'm going to get bulky or it's not going to, it's not for me. Like what are different things we would tackle in terms of getting somebody to start that process to potentially start strength training? I think hitting hammering home that strength training is going to let you maintain your muscle mass and even build muscle. And as you age, that is going to be, could be the difference maker between you getting hurt, not getting hurt between you being able to stand up from a chair, between you being able to play with your grandkids, going up and down stairs, um, functional living as you age. That's what strength training is going to do by building muscle and or and or maintaining the mass that you have. And let's talk about bone density. I mean, resistance, working your bones with resistance is going to make them stronger. So when you get older, a fall doesn't automatically mean a broken hip or it doesn't automatically mean you've busted you know, your arm or something. In, in fact, it'll probably be just the opposite. So there's so many benefits to strength training from a functional life perspective that I tell everyone this, you don't ever have to love it. You know, and there are some people that aren't going to love it. I can't understand that. But I mean, there are going to be people that that just don't love it. And that's okay. Find something that you love to do. But strength training is that important that you should include it somehow in your life. Even if you don't like it, don't let it kind of consume you, but do what you love. If you'd love aerobics and Zumba or whatever, do that, but include strength training because it's too important for you not to do that. And, and I'll tell you, after watching my mom, um, who, who passed away a couple of years ago, watch, watching her decline and becoming frail. I, that was just a fire that lit inside of me. And I said, I'm never going to, this is not going to happen to me. I'm going to do whatever I can within my obvious control to stay as strong as I can to build strength until I die, because I don't want to be so weak that I can't stand up. I don't want to be so weak that I can't take a step that I can't turn a knob. I don't want that to be me. I think none of us really want that. But we can really help to prevent that, you know, and, and that's why strength training is that important. And, and from the whole, I don't want to get bulky thing, you know, 
I find that one fascinating because what they don't understand is the whole, you know, the whole testosterone thing and, and that, I mean, going down that road. But if you look at most guys in the gym who want to bulk, they are, they struggle to bulk, yeah, you know, many guys who are really big. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. So imagine us females with not even near the amount of testosterone thinking that we're going to get bulky before they do. I mean, yeah. that just doesn't make sense. But I think the problem with that over the years has been some women see these powerlifting girls that are big and yeah. they have done, they have gotten that way on purpose because they're trying to break world records in powerlifting meets. So they're in a big calorie surplus and therein lies the difference, you know, and that's, I think a lot of people think I don't want to look like that. That's what's going to happen. Look, she's lifting heavy weight. I don't want to lift heavy, heavy weight. Cause I'm gonna look like that. You don't think about their nutrition piece, right? So you keep your calories in check. You keep your calories in a maintenance level, or if you're trying to lose weight and a very modest deficit and work on focus, focusing on getting stronger, building muscle, I, you will not bulk. You'll probably get more toned, that word toned, which means muscle. Yeah. You'll see a little definition. You'll look leaner. That's what most people want. Um, and that's what lifting heavy weights will do. Not to mention what I said earlier about the muscle mass benefits and the bone density benefits. And the other benefit, which doesn't get talked about nearly enough, it's not as tangible, but it's the mental benefit, the emotional component to this. Like what strength training will do for you emotionally is outrageous. I mean, you become confident in so many aspects of your life because you can start to have control and lift heavy stuff. It does something for you that my words probably don't justify enough. You know, I can't, I can't say that enough without somebody experiencing it. And to anybody that has, they know exactly what I'm talking about. It is just one of those things that comes along with strength training. It's, it's pretty amazing to see. Yeah. And I think you can tell by, by the passion in, in your voice, how important it is. And I think that also along with those powerlifting folks who, who we see, the amount of training that they're doing also is probably not what a general, if we're just trying to get generally clear, yeah. is even capable of doing. Like the volume and all, like you said, the, the, the food that they're eating, all that kind of stuff is, is probably not even realistic for a person who's living a normal life that's not trying to break world records. And all this. So there's so many variables that are happening behind the scenes that none of us ever see. And then we mm -hmm. just look at that, that end result. Like, I, I don't know. A hundred percent. Yeah. Tor, you want you want to tackle it or you want me? I'll ask. <laughs> yeah, you'll ask. I don't know how much I can tackle it. Um, one of our clients, athletes, had a big, long question about weight loss, but we summed it up into that <laughs> big, big weight loss periods happen for a lot of people at different ages as well. I don't. We talked about it being maybe or maybe really not common when you get older. It might just be a myth. What are some red flags when those big weight loss periods happen? And what are some expectations that people might have to have going forward after that? So I, I guess if someone wants to make like a hundred pounds, like they're trying to lose like a hundred pounds, mm -hmm. you know, like these big, you know, transformation type things and not biggest loser type challenges, but like a realistic, I need to lose a hundred pounds. Like what are, what are my expectations for that? And like, what should I do? And then how do I keep, then also the flip side of it is, and how do I, maintain that forever afterwards. 
I mean, that's like a whole thing. Right? I mean, yeah, there's yeah. no like quick tips here. <laughs> well, um, no quick tips on that one, but that, that was one of the questions because coming from, a, I'm assuming, I, I know she's probably a yo-yo dieter throughout her life and she's lost big chunks of change and, and brought it all back and keeps going in that cycle. Those restrictive diets that make you lose a lot really fast. And so I think just give a few, I guess, red flags of different things that, that you've found through the, even like Jenny Craig, you talked about it a little bit, but what are some of the things that were red flags to you from a nutritional standpoint? And then what, what is a realistic expectation if we're trying to make some big weight loss changes? Like how much can I lose? Like how long might it, might it take? I know obviously there's no concrete answer for any individual because you can't say, hey, we can guarantee you're going to lose 30 pounds in 12 weeks like a lot of people do on social media and these marketing ploys to kind of feed into our insecurities. But what is a more realistic way to think about that? So then when our, we're thinking about our mindset and thinking about those different things, how can we address them? First of all, Jordan and I in the inner circle, we tell our membership and just in general, a half pound to a pound a week. And I don't, I'm not a timeline girl, but that, and that's about as close to a timeline as I would ever get is, right. is phenomenal progress. Uh, and I remember growing up hearing that two pounds a week was like the standard, right? The gold standard. It wasn't too fast. It wasn't too slow. And I think middle-aged people are hung up on that, that if they're not losing two pounds or more a week, there's something wrong. And I think that's just old school thinking. And it yeah. was kind of what was talked about back in those decades. It was just the information that was out, that that's what everyone thought. But we're more along the lines of a half pound to a pound um, a week for most people. Now, somebody who has a hundred pounds like or more to lose, yeah, they're probably going to drop weight faster. It, if you set calories up properly, you know, someone who has a lot of weight to lose has a lot of more wiggle room with a calorie deficit. And so they, at the beginning, will probably lose weight at a faster rate than that, which is fine. But people go wrong is when they 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 stop losing for maybe like the scale doesn't move much for a week. They panic, they think it's not working, and then they start lowering their calories. And they they do this way, way, way too soon. Most people really will probably not have to lower calories at all. And and, and I'm talking about the people that, that don't have significant weight to lose. Those that have significant weight to lose, yes, will be making some adjustments because we're going a farther distance. But um, for the average person who wants to lose 10, 20 pounds, you probably won't have to adjust at all. And people panic because the scale will stall. They think it's a plateau. They don't understand this is perfectly normal. And it, you need to wait this out. You need to up your consistency because what usually happens is, and this is a red flag, I guess, we all go all in at this at the beginning, right? We are all in, ready to go. We want perfection. That might be a little bit hard to maintain, you know? So kind of lowering that bar a little bit, but understanding that weight loss is not linear. It's not going to be a continuous downhill stream. You're your, your, uh, your weight loss graph is going to look like a heart rate monitor, you know? And if, and if you connect the dots over time, you will see the downward trend. But if you get caught up in weighing yourself every day and comparing Tuesday to Monday, oh, I lost three pounds, you know, overnight. Well, 
yes and no. And that's a whole nother discussion versus fat loss versus weight loss. But we get so caught up in comparing our numbers day to day. And really, they don't mean much. What the numbers mean more when you compare them every month, like the first of a month to the first of the next month, second of the month to the second of the month, those numbers you can compare head to head. You can't compare head to head Tuesday to Monday or Wednesday to Monday. Those numbers, you can't, there's too much normal fluctuations that happen during that time. So you don't, you, you don't have an accurate reading, but when you collect the data over time and start comparing your numbers month to month, then you're going to start seeing trends and then you're going to know if it's working or not. And if it's not, the first thing you need to do is check what are you doing? Where's your consistency level? How many days out of 30 have you actually hit your targets? That's where you start. You don't start by lowering your calories. You need to start and look at yourself because generally speaking, after we start going all in, the reins get loose a little bit. You know, that's just normal. It's normal human behavior. We're not, we're not as tight with our nutrition as we were at the beginning. And that can cause you to slow down a little bit. It's a matter of just looking at how you can improve, focusing on that I, like, I call it like this, focus less on the outcome, meaning the number on the scale, and focus more on, on how you're getting there, what you can do on your consistency, what you're bringing to the table. Because when you focus on improving being consistent, the outcomes will follow 100% of the time. Yeah, pro- process-oriented goals versus outcome-oriented goals, for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. And uh, what would be, you know, you talked about a couple times in there, uh, the detriment to jumping ship too fast and lowering your calories too fast, like, or lowering your calories at all. So let's say you're, you know, whatever it is, and you drop it down because you're not seeing as much progress as fast as you wanted to. So I'm going to, oh, I'm going to drop it down another 200 calories. So what would be some of the, the downfalls from that? The one thing, I mean, if you start really reducing calories and, and you get there too soon, your body's going to start adjusting to that. Mm-hmm. And and what that means is that your maintenance is going to adjust and everything's going to get lower. And so that means if you want to lose weight, you're going to have to eat even less. That will, what could happen over time. And that is something that a lot, I think, happens to a lot of people. That's why you hear people saying they are reversing. They're trying to get back into maintenance, put some more calories on board, and, and kind of, I, I don't want to use the word rev up your metabolism, but in a sense, that's kind of what's happening. We don't want to, we don't want to blame our metabolism for this because it's not a hundred percent the player, but it is a player. Um, it's naturally going to go down when you eat less food, when you're in a calorie deficit, that is normal. That is supposed to happen. But when you start lowering your calories too much, too soon, then you, then you're going to have your back against a wall at some point. You know, you, you're going to be eating, you know, lettuce (laughs) and it's not going to, you know, feel good and you're going to not be able to obviously sustain it. So slow, a modest deficit with a slower rate of fat loss is a much better way to go over time than, than this quick fat loss. Uh, uh, It's not working anymore. Now I got to lower. Oh, it's not working anymore. Now I got to lower that that'll catch up with you really fast. And then I think it gets you to the point too, where we talked about where now because I'm so restrictive with my calories that I'm going to end up jumping ship and flipping the other flipping yep. the switch the other way and starting to binge at night and do all those sorts of things that are going to derail our any progress we might have made in the first place. A hundred percent right. A hundred percent right. It's the root of binging. So yeah, that's a whole nother issue, right? And and it's 
it's going to end up being binge restrict, binge restrict, and this cycle will just continue. So it's, it's so much better. And I know maybe not as rewarding in the short term to do a more conservative approach to everything, but in the long run, it is the best approach for almost everyone. Yeah. And a few things I just want to touch upon that. Yeah, I have notes here from the book. You know, it says hunger. Yeah, I wrote down hunger while while trying to lose weight is normal. A little bit of being hungry, a little bit, but being borderline ravenous most of the time is not normal. Yeah. So you should be a little hungry because you're obviously in a caloric deficit. So you're going to be a little hungry, but not so ravenously hungry that you're going to put everything you can find in your mouth. Hundred percent. And I think we we are programmed to um, react as soon as our stomach does that little growl. Right? It's like, oh my god, I'm hungry. I got to go eat something. You know? No, actually, you probably don't. You know, that's normal. That is that is your body doing its job. And I I may have I can't remember if I put this in the book. I think I did. I was that person that carried a uh, like a protein bar or something with me in my purse always. Just yeah. in case, like I'd be out or, running or errands like that. And it, it would be like, just in case I would get hungry. And it's like, I'm just running errands. I'm only going to be gone for an hour or two. It's not like I'm leaving town with no access to food for three days because <laughs> I'm running errands. And I felt like I had to have that protein bar there. It's not a comfortable feeling when you're hungry, and it's something that we don't like to experience, but it's not an emergency. You know, it's not the, oh my God, you know, I got to do this, I'm going to die. We're not starving. You know, it's just a little bit of hunger. And oftentimes, sipping on some, you know, some seltzer water, have a cup of coffee, something like that, it's going to take that edge, that little growl off, and you just keep going. And, you know, and, and if this continues to happen, then let's look at your meals, you know, and this is kind of a tangent and I'll make it really quick is right. that, um, <laughs> that, that I think we undereat our meals. Like we, we, we plan on snacks. We're all big on snacks. Like I get asked all the time, what are my go-to snacks? I'm like, I don't have go-to snacks Same. because my meals are plenty big. <laughs> you know, I, we try to make our meals so small because we're trying to lose weight that we end up programming all these snacks in and these snacks are probably not leaving us satisfied and we're going to reach for more. And I just think that's a disaster. I think expanding your meals is far better than trying to include all these little, you know, snacks that aren't going to satisfy you along the way. But yeah, I, I think we, we just under eat our meals and overeat our snacks is the basic problem. And that yeah, was, you know, that was me carrying the little protein bars. I had these snacks all the time. And then if you don't factor those in, you're like, oh, well, I ate this, that, and the other thing. You didn't, you don't factor in the three bars you ate while you were grocery shopping or yeah. shopping clothes or different things like that. Or you go and, to Costco and get all the samples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that I think we, just to, to kind of summarize that, we talked about the, you know, losing weight at a slower rate might not be as rewarding right away, but the whole idea of all of this stuff is sustainability. Yeah. Right? Like, what can you do for the rest of your life? Like, if you're yeah. going to, if you're going to restrict heavily for six weeks and you might see progress, yeah, you might lose a lot of weight, but is that something you're going to be able to sustain for the rest of your life? Never eating flour, would you say flour and sugar? Yeah, no, well, no white flour, no sugar. Yeah. yeah, no, no flour, no sugar. Like, is that realistic for the rest of your life? I mean, yeah, you know, it's are, a great are, question to ask. Yeah. So I think that asking yourself that as you're going mm -hmm. through some of these changes that you're trying to make, like, is this something I, First of all, is this something I can do? 
or is this something or even more like, is this something I want to do? Absolutely. You know, do I want to never eat pizza ever again in my life? Probably not. I like pizza quite a bit. So <laughs> I don't want to never eat pizza ever. You know, so it's like those types of things that we have to really dive deep and be reflective on to see if those things are really, really going to help us all meet our goals, but also help us live a, a, a sane life. A hundred percent. You know, and, and one thing that that is been hitting me pretty hard, I think recently is just mortality, you know, with my age and everything and, um, being around watching both my parents pass away, it, you know, it's, it's hitting home. And I, I'm just kind of like, you know, life is just too short to not include things that you want to include, you know, and whether that's, you know, if you're a sweet person, you know, you like your sweets or chocolate or whatever it is, it's, it's just not worth excluding it and thinking that you're doing the the good thing the rightful thing it's not it's not it's not a way to live you should be able to include what you want to include enjoy your life while you're here you know because you don't want to be 90 years old and look back and go damn I'm glad I didn't eat that chocolate back when I was 30 you know I mean Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't make any sense exactly exactly so a few more things. I know we don't have a ton of time left. And I, I did want to talk about, because you touched upon it a long time ago, a little bit of like the hormonal stuff and getting older. One of the questions from our, our members uh, was specifically about like, what are some of the things that happen that, that maybe you have to adjust for as you start pushing into that premenopausal menopausal? And, and she specifically said women into their 40s and older, uh, like some of the diet and exercise changes, if you would make any changes to your body and different things like that. Like what are some things you were looking for? You have more experience with this than I do. And Tori, who's only 20. So I'll be really honest. And this is going to probably be a surprising answer. Um, there's not a lot to change necessarily. I mean, like, should I eat different foods? No, I, I, I don't. I mean, unless you have medical issues or something, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but the one thing I think that needs to change is you need to be more aware because what's happened over decades is we've lost our awareness. Once we got married and got a job and then the kids came along and, you know, we're grabbing dinner on the fly, we're, we're running errands all the time, we're taking kids to practices and we've just lost awareness of our nutrition. We've lost awareness of our working out and the efficiency with that. Um, and we've probably become less active over the course of decades. And so then you end up here in middle age and perimenopause and menopause and the hormonal stuff starts kicking in and you've created this perfect storm now um, between hormones and, and decades of really not paying as close attention as we used to. So I think the awareness is where it is. You have to become aware um, and you need to understand that just eating quote clean unquote um, is probably not going to be enough anymore. You know, it's, you can't eat like you did in your twenties and and expect to maintain and and at the same activity level and everything when you're in your 50s i mean it's just not realistic so does that mean that life is going to be worse no it just means you have to be aware you have to be aware of what you're eating if you want to lose weight then you need to put in some work and time for that and yeah you you need to be active your movement needs to probably increase a little bit um and you need to strength train if you're not strength training you need to do that and then find whatever else you you need you like to do but those would be your building blocks um and it's it's not a sexy sell like people think there's some magic to this you know it's like i, I tell everybody 
like my workouts. I do the same lifts that everyone else does. And a lot of people are amazed by that. It's just, do I lift as much weight? No, probably not. But, and I might do a different variation here or there, but that stuff doesn't change. Your nutrition stuff doesn't change. You just have to become more aware. And then if you have goals, like you want to lose weight, then let's put it into practice. Yeah, 100, 100%. And then I think that that reflectiveness and that uh, uh, personal accountability and looking, yeah. in the, looking in the mirror and really yeah. like you know, taking ownership for that sort of thing. You know, that's where it starts, right? It has to start there. Be, and, and a lot of times people think by hiring a trainer or hiring a coach that it's all now going to change. And you, you guys know that's not how it works, right? And it, we as coaches are here to guide and to give you the tools, but you have to implement them regardless, right? So gotcha. it comes back to you doing what you promised yourself you're going to do. Yeah, 100%. You got yeah, to follow through. The consistency you know, is key. Yeah. Like we are. Every, you know, it's been seeing it a lot more on the social media. Maybe it's just the people I follow, but talking about that consistency and then actually doing doing the thing that you want to do, like instead of, you know, looking the other way or, or hoping somebody else is going to take the work and the burden for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody would just cook and do all of my meals for me. I would be, uh, I'd be perfect. Like, yeah, so would everybody, but you would never learn anything. And then what happens when that person's no longer there? Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, and I think that's the, the, the thing that I want to finish with is in there. We, you talked about uh, flipping the switch in terms of your mm-hmm. mindset and how, Mindset obviously plays a huge role throughout this whole process and trying mm-hmm. to change your lifestyle and trying to change your practices and all these different things. And some folks think like, I just need to change my mindset and then I'll be good. It's like, yeah, but it's not like we're just flipping a switch. Mm-hmm. I can't go from, you know, doing all these sorts of practices who may not be in alignment with our goals. So then how do I gradually go to this this next level where I'm trying to change my mindset around food, trying to change my mindset around strength training, trying to change my mindset around all of these different things, these social interactions. If I can't just flip the switch and turn it all off, what are some maybe guiding principles or different things? You know, I usually tell people to try to take one, one step at a time. And I'm I'm, from our conversation in this last hour, I'm pretty sure we're going to be pretty close and, and how we attack these, but I'd like to hear what you got to say. Well, I think one thing is, is we allow emotion to rule the roost, right? We've all got these emotional voices inside of us that are ruling what we do. For instance, if we, if we're not successful, we beat ourselves up. We tell ourselves that we're a failure. We can't do this, blah, blah, blah. You know, we say all these things. Um, so a great example of that, let's say you went over your calories, um, one night, you start beating yourself up about it. You think, God, I can't do this. Okay. I'm going to have to now restrict. I'm going to punish myself the next day. I'm going to do an extra thing, a cardio, blah, blah, blah. That's all emotion talking. That's emotion was now allowed to rule the roost and, and dictate what you do. And I'm a big proponent of, you know, we've got, we've all got emotional voices in our head. We've all got logical voices in our heads. It's time for the logical voices to take a stand and tell the emotional voices to shut the hell up. I tell myself this all the time. I tell myself, shut up, Susan, you're fine. I mean, I literally have conversations with myself over and over and over again. And, and it's, it's that kind of practice that has slowly over time shifted me to now my logic voices run the show. 
I still have emotions. I still don't like it when the scale goes up. I'm a human being. There's not a person on the planet that likes that. I, and it's okay not to like it. And I don't like it. But now I don't let that feeling of not liking it determine what I have to do now. And that's gone because my logic voice says, you're fine, Susan, just shut up, you know, and move on. And, and it's a little bit of a tough love thing here too. You know, we, we have to, we have to have those logic voices take control. We have to, and we have to practice that. And literally it's a conversation with yourself or it, some people like to write. That's cool too. But I just, we, we've got to have that internal dialogue. Uh, absolutely. It's got to start there. Have you, have you ever read the book, The Art of War by Stephen Pressfield? I have not. Oh, he, he calls it the resistance. Mm. <laughs> Like mm -hmm. something inside of your head that is just like fights you at every step of the way. And it can come up as like a million different ways, but it's the resistance from, and then it prevents you from doing the thing that you want to do. And he calls it the resistance. So it's just a really great. <laughs> I love that. I, I yeah. love it. I, I think that's yeah. really true. Spot on. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great, it's a great little, it's a quick read too. It's a, it's a great little read. And he, he talks about it in terms of like writing and being creative, but it, I think it goes hand in hand with pretty much any health and lifestyle venture that we, we go through because we have that internal battle, that internal resistance that prevents us from wanting to eat healthy or reaching for, you know, that, that cupcake tastes so good though, you know, and then you have those ideas that pop in your head and you have to battle yourself and fight yourself to, you know, potentially do the thing that's in alignment with your goals. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's not easy, especially if the emotion has been running the show for so long. Um, and it's not always going to be 100% successful. But just because it's not successful doesn't mean you quit and you give up and you say, ah, screw it. It means you keep trying. You get up, you dust yourself off, and you keep after it. You know, it's persistence. It's perseverance. It's hard. You know, the, the, the formulas are all simple. Everything is simple, but it's never easy. And especially I think people my age, because we were brought up to believe some crazy stuff yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for so long. And that stuff doesn't go away overnight. You know, it's just not going to miraculously go away. In fact, I would wager to say it's not going to go away completely at all. But right. how we react to it is what's going to change. Yeah, I would agree with that 100%. So we, we've been to an hour and I don't want to keep you any much longer. And, uh, I'm sure you, you have a busy schedule here. So to, to close with, um, where can we find you if people want to, you know, search you out, chat with you and do whatever um, on social media, whatever, whatever you want to give us. Um, and we'll, we'll, we'll start there and then we'll close it all up. Sure. Um, Instagram, I am at Susan Niebergall Fitness. Uh, Facebook, same, Susan Niebergall Fitness. Um, I'm on Twitter, too, Susan Niebergall Fitness. YouTube, I have an extensive YouTube channel. Um, again, Susan Niebergall Fitness. Um, I'm co-coaching the Inner Circle. And if you want to learn more about that, you can anybody can reach out to me via Instagram or um, my website is Susan Niebergall Fitness. I have a contact form there as well. And you have a book. And I have a book and it's called Fit at Any Age. It's never too late. Yeah. <laughs> Who would have thought? Which I've loved reading, honestly. I, I, I was diving right into it and I, I was crushing it. it. It came a little later. Amazon was slacking a little bit. I thought it was yeah. going to happen. But it, I, got, I got through most of it and got some good info. But I loved good. it. Well, thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. So uh, thanks again. And I think that any, any closing remarks or thoughts for folks who are you know, on a similar path and, and struggling to kind of get the get 
get things on, get the train on the tracks to help them live the healthiest. You know, we, we always talk about it at the gym. We have a little slogan called find your prime. You know, we want folks to be able to do whatever they can to find their prime and live their best life and, and do that. And, um, so that's what we're, we're trying to shoot for on these podcasts and help folks find their prime. And what, what closing remarks might you have to help folks get there? Just to remember that it truly is never too late to change. We often think that it, it is, the time has passed us by, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, start simple. Uh, if you feel like you have a lot of things you need to change, you don't have to change them all at once. Just pick a couple, like I talked about, maybe start walking, writing down what you consume in a day, start there, but start simple and build up from there. Because I think if we take on too much at once, it's like paralysis by analysis. You know, we're just like, we're analyzing everything. There's too many things going on and we can't move. So scale it back, start simple, give yourself little wins along the way. And that's just going to get the ball rolling. Awesome. Love it. Well, that's it for us guys. We'll see you next time to help you find your prime. Thanks for hanging out with us for another episode of the prime podcast, where we do everything to help you find your prime. It would be really awesome if you went in there and gave us some reviews, some feedback, some love, subscribe to our podcast. In addition, come check us out on Instagram and also be sure to check out Susan on Instagram at Susan Niebergall Fitness and check her out for all things health, fitness, and wellness related. Till next time. Said I'm at my prime.